Lunch with Pippa Hudson. And now, Consumer Talk featuring Wendy Nola. Wendy's joining us via Zoom today from Johannesburg, and we're going to be discussing one of her favorite pet subjects, how brands respond to consumer complaints and whether they manage to turn them around and turn them into a win or make the situation even worse. We've got a very interesting case study to share with you today. We're also going to take a look at a quite interesting court case around the use of the word butter and <laughs> the butter wars, if you like it. Butter gate, I'm sure, will be used within a matter of hours. Uh, we'll make some time for open line calls at the end of the show as well, so if you would like to join the conversation or ask a question or share your own experience, remember you can call us on 021-446-0567. You can also send a WhatsApp to 072-567-1567. Great to have you with us, even if it must be from a distance, Wendy. Welcome. Thank you, Pippa. You've told us, if you've told us once, you've told us a million times that if a product is defective, the Consumer Protection Act gives us consumers the right to return it for our choice of a refund, replacement or repair. But a rather curious case today uh, in which the company witnessed the issue, suggested a couple of fixes, then told the customers there's nothing wrong with this machine. It's working fine, even though they insist it's very obvious it's not. Tell us a bit more. Okay, so the complainants, a Cape Town couple who asked us not to identify them, appear to have experienced an agonizing three and a half months trying to get recourse for a faulty washing machine, while the manufacturer insists that there actually is no fault at all. So they bought the latest, greatest flagship, fully electronic, intelligent, 50,000 rand washing machine from Mille in Cape Town in mid-January this year. Uh, they only used it for the first time a month later when they got back from the annual holiday. And in the words of the husband who will call Mr. K, who is himself um, very much uh, in retail and dealing with uh, customers okay. on a daily basis. He says, from the first time we used the machine to do our laundry, we experienced the exact same problem that we still are currently experiencing, namely that with every load of laundry that we do in this machine, irrespective of the size of the load or which cycle we use or what type of fabric we're washing, at the end of the main washing cycle, there is still noticeably a copious amount of soap suds remaining in the rinse water of the machine, even though we always add the optional additional rinse to the main wash cycle. So in order to remove those soap suds from the laundry rinse water, he said, they have to do between six and eight additional full rinse-only cycles. Now, you can imagine that in terms of time, in terms of water, water, wasted, energy, exactly, yeah. So he says they've tried everything. First, they've reduced the amount of their um, chosen uh, brand, which was Skip Liquid. Um, They reduced it from what the manufacturer recommended to about three quarters of that and then finally ended up putting in as little as two tablespoons just 30 mils to try and resolve the problem to no avail so they then tried other brands um but the foam issue persisted um so this is something we would recommend mr k started taking a lot of videos of these remaining soap suds at the end of the of the main cycle of the wind cycle and also recording how many additional rinse cycles it was taking to remove the soap suds um, in order to obviously demonstrate the problem yeah. to the manufacturer, to the supplier, to Milan. And um, of course, yeah, you know, doing so, they you know, officially reported the fault. And, uh, and so technician number one 
came to their home to investigate. And I think we should probably a good time to, to hear from the source himself. Absolutely. We have Mr. K on the line with us. Thank you very much for being prepared to speak to us this afternoon and welcome to the show. So the technician who was sent out came out, took a look and you showed him at first hand, this is what's happening. We're doing a normal washing cycle and even after additional rinse cycles, there is still all this foam left in the machine. What did he say? So he, he put the diagnostic um, equipment onto the machine. Yeah. Um, to test it because that's what they do these days is it's all electronic and it's all software driven and they can apparently then um, adjust water flow and temperature and adjust cycles according to um, environmental factors I would assume Yeah. and then um, he then suggested that we use their soap their so soap this has got its own um, manufactured so produced by the brand and it's got dispensers in the in the machine that you open the bottles and you put them in and you use their soap and then he also suggested that we get a plumber in to test pressure and flow which we did and that came out to be absolutely fine there was no problem with our water pressure and there was no problem with the with the flow into the machine Okay, so it's not a plumbing issue. Just to go back yeah. to that that suggestion that you use their soap, when you purchased this machine, were you told that you had to use their soap or were you told you could use any detergent? It's optional. It's so optional. You, can use, you can use your own soap, you can use your own pre-wash, you can use it as a normal everyday washing machine or you can use it on the, what they call the dos system, which is great. It's convenient because you just tweak the machine and walk away. Mm. Except so, it's not rinsing properly. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so that so that manifested as over time. So we did that, and we noticed the same um, persistent problem with the with the residual soap remaining in after the end of the wash. Okay, so your plumber has eliminated the possibility that it's a, a plumbing issue and confirmed your water pressure is fine, the water flow to the machine is fine. Your your process of elimination has confirmed it's not an issue of the kind of soap that's being used because it's yes. happening with any kind of brand, even their own house brand. So that then, yeah, I mean, so, so your technician has come and stuck his diagnostic machine in and taken a look, but did yes. he acknowledge that what he was seeing in the machine, that what you were showing him was, was abnormal? So he was a little bit circumspect because I'm sure, you know, it's not his um, um, place to to comment. He just uh, suggested we then get hold of the technician in Johannesburg, the senior technician. Uh, we take the videos, um, uh, which, we, which we documented very, very carefully, put yeah. it on a flash drive and send it to Johannesburg, which they, they didn't do. The technician came to Cape Town. He hadn't viewed the video footage by the time he came to our house. He then looked at the machine, they put the diagnostic machine on, and they were there for about an hour and a half, um, testing, analyzing, discussing, and then... Um, Hello, Mr. K. Yeah. Continue Sorry. with the machine, and they'll get back to us. They'll, they'll, they'll assess it when he gets back to Johannesburg. Because it's a brand-new machine, they don't have a history on this machine, so... They can't quite comment. They'll have to get hold of Germany and wait for more complaints to come in um, and see if this problem is manifest in other machines because because it's so new. So we continued and we then decided that this was a, a problem that was not going away. And we then phoned Johannesburg to try and speak to the, the senior technician. And that's when the, when the wheels came off. And we were absolutely stonewalled. We couldn't get past the receptionist. 
we could communicate with with anybody of authority within the organization. And um, the receptionist kept giving us messages via whoever she passed the message on to saying, they'll get back to us, they'll get back to us, which they never did. Um, we never received one phone call from the technician once he left our premises mm. or the senior management. And uh, then we decided, well, the only route to go is to, is to perhaps um, uh, uh, discuss it with Wendy, which we did. Yeah. Unfortunately, she took on the case and, and uh, it has been resolved, but not amicably. I mean, the point is that um, the reputational damage that they've done to their brand, as far as we are concerned, is is um, it's quite quite shameful. Yeah. Let me bring Wendy back in at this point. I mean, Wendy, talk to us about um, what happened uh, after you got involved. Okay, so I sent an email to to Millet, um and uh, specifically to the company's brand activation manager, Ciclero Champion. And I said, you know, I deal with these sort of cases, products going wrong within the first six months. It's my stock and trade day in and day out. I said, but this is a particularly serious one on, on on a complainant's account because there were several forms of consumer maltreatment. Yeah, there was gaslighting and there's nothing wrong with the machine. There was customer blaming, as in you must be using the wrong soap. Use ours, rather. There was backpassing. Mr. K was phoning Joburg Millet, who said, deal with Cape Town Millet, and vice versa. There was, our problem is your problem, as in the machine is very new. Please, you'll have to wait until we've got sufficient customer feedback worldwide before you... (laughs) And then there was blocking and ghosting, which is very common, um, because Mr. K couldn't get beyond switchboard person, uh, he or she was promising to get the higher up to phone him back, and that never happened. So, yeah, so I, I said all that in my email, actually, and I said, um, unless it's Millet's contention that what this couple are continuing to experience with that flagship appliance is exceptional, is considered ex- um, acceptable, normal functioning for this appliance, a refund is indeed due to them. And and therein lies the issue because the response from Champion was, uh, we've looked into the situation and found that our technicians have tested the unit in question and found there to be no technical fault on two occasions. However, Mr. K is unhappy with the product and would like a refund. We continue to value the customer feedback and experience very highly and we'd like to ensure that the customer's wishes are met. We will ensure that its unit is refunded fully, that the remainder of the experience is a positive one. And so, you know, obviously that's a great outcome. This was a very expensive machine. And, yeah. and, and plus they were sitting with a situation where they didn't want to remove it themselves. Why they wanted to get a professional in to do it, lest they be told, well, you, you know. You've tampered with it all. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Which, which, which can happen. Anyway, so, you know, I... I said, you know, what you're essentially saying is that um, it's, it's a goodwill gesture because you're saying, you're not saying it's a legally justified Consumer Protection Act warranty refund because you're not acknowledging that there's any malfunctioning happening. Yeah. So I, I'm, my question was, are you saying that the machine is designed to require multiple additional rinse cycles to rid the clothes of soap suds? 
So the second response was the refund is being provided, yes, as a good as goodwill, as indeed our technicians found the unit to be in good working order and not malfunctional. Um, and then under the CPA, we have a right to service before replacement, as you well know. However, in this case, we decided to grant the customer their wish, which was a full refund. That's not right, though, Wendy. Service before replacement? That's not a term I've heard in 12 years of dealing with the CPA. What um, what companies or suppliers do have the right to do is to, in order to rule out user effect, um, user abuse of some kind to have it technically assessed, which did happen twice. It wasn't a service. They can call that an assessment. Um, and then before replacement, well, replacement isn't the only option available to the consumer if this happens within six months of purchase. So it would be the consumer's choice, as I keep saying, of a repair replacement or, or refund. So that was a little bit odd. Mm. Um, but yeah, um, I went on to say, um, customers may need to meet, may need sorry to do an additional rinse on their load after wash when they may have dispensed too much detergent for the load size. Remember, their soap gets put in the machine. It's their soap, and the machine intelligently then dispenses the right amount for the size of the load, the type of fabric, which it all intelligently senses. Right, so there was no input here from these consumers. So. I don't that that um, allegation of too much soap certainly doesn't apply here. Um, went on to say um, there is no expectation for customers to run any additional rinse cycles to rid clothes of soap sites on our various machine cycles, except on occasion as above. In a situation like this, if the suds endure, we recommend machine cleaner and a high temperature wash to rid the machine of any residual suds. Our technician provided this cleaner to the customer. Let me just bring um, Mr. K. Sorry, if I can just pause. Mr. K, did, yes. you, did you use that cleaner? Did you try and run run it through the machine? So when they came and visited us the second time, when the technician from Johannesburg came, they, they mentioned that, and uh, which didn't quite make sense to me because it's a brand new machine. Yeah. So where did the residual soap come from in the first place that it would create that problem? But they did. They, they, they threw a, a powder into the drum and they did a, rush, a wash cycle with that powder in at 90 degrees. Um, and the results were the same. We still could not get the soap out of the fabrics. Yeah. And they also said we're loading it incorrectly and we're putting the wrong mix of laundry in and all other kinds of um, red herrings that they tried to, to um, throw into this discussion. But it's an intelligent machine. It's a nine-kilogram machine that can take normal laundry which is there's only two of us living in the house how much laundry can we be putting in the machine at once uh, we wash sports clothes separately we wash bedding separately we wash towels separately so that argument didn't quite make any kind of make any kind of sense us either and uh, nine okay. kilograms of, of dry laundry um it's just we just don't have that kind of. Yeah, I mean that's a huge amount. Even for a family yeah. of four, we would struggle to, to to fill a machine with that amount. So, um, I mean, Absolutely. Wendy, Mr. K is emphatic. They weren't overloading the machine. They weren't doing anything wrong in terms of using um, detergent. They tried uh, uh, changing the detergent, etc. I mean, it it baffles me that 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 Miel can 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 or Mileu, whatever have you pronounce it, to continue to say there's nothing wrong with the machine when. A brand new, well, very expensive yeah. washing machine. Surely, being able to rinse the load properly is is a crucial element of 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 well, basic performance. 
Indeed, you would think so. The other thing they suggested was through any cycle, even when the laundry is nearing its completion, there may be remaining bubbles in the water, which can be just the water <laughs> agitation itself. Mr. K, water agitation. I've seen the video, your, your video. Yeah. <laughs> were they bubbles or were they soap sets? Well, you saw the video. The, 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 it's soap, but there's no question because if it was, if it was um, agitated water, those bubbles would dissipate exactly. very, very quickly. But the, 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 the soap was, was, um, was very evident after every, after every rinse cycle. And, and it diminished slowly. That's why we had to go between six and eight rinses to, to, yeah. to get rid of it because you could see it after each rinse cycle um, diminishing um, as it was being taken out of the laundry. I'm not quite sure what the problem is. And, and, and that's for, for Mila to really quite, uh, quite um, spend some time and establish because of the of the newness of the machine, and uh, there's obviously a technical issue involved, and um, and um, they need to get, and they need to resolve it. And we were quite happy to work with them to resolve it initially. Yeah. Once they stonewalled us, um, our attitude changed. So just before we let you go, Mr. K, can you confirm you have been refunded for this machine? Have they come and taken it away? Um, the refund hasn't come through, but the machine has gone. So. Let's see what the next chapter is. Okay, so the machine is gone, but you haven't yet received the refund, but they have told you that one is coming. Uh, is that correct? I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will, yeah. Let's cross fingers and hope that happens. Please do keep us updated on that and let us know um, uh, when that refund hopefully arrives. Uh, uh, Mr. K, thanks for speaking to us this afternoon. Yeah, Brendan's saying it's so frustrating listening to this story. Clearly, this is a management attitude problem uh, as much as it is a machine-related problem. I mean, Wendy, um, okay, one hopes that they will make good on the promise of the refund, but they seem to be missing the bigger picture of A, dealing with the actual nature of the problem, and B, how they've dealt with this customer. Yeah, I think I think it's a classic case of, you know, we have our procedures and there's an inability to insert yourself into the shoes of your customer and experience the issue as they are experiencing it. So, you know, I understand this is supposed to be, you know, this is a wonderful machine, it's their flagship, it's newly launched in the international market, very proud of it and all of that. And that just seems to be an inability to conceive that this person, that the machine is is at fault in terms of rinsing the, the soap out. It has to be A, B, C, D, E, F, G, down to water agitation yeah. uh, bubble. Um, anything other than the machine, because the machine, the, the, the technical diagnosis said, no, all fine. So that's what we go with. But look, all credit, they did refund. Um, well, they've promised the machine, to do so. so. That the yeah. problem is over for them, but I just... You know, thought it was a really interesting case study to share. Thanks for uh, for uh, raising it, and let's hope that that refund is in Mr. K's bank account soon. Cape Talk, consumer talk, WhatsApp on o seven two five six seven one five six seven. That's what Stephen has done, sent a message. Stephen listening to us in Neisner and Wendy. Stephen used to work for a competitor brand for many years. And he says, I'm absolutely flabbergasted by the reaction of Millet. For a so-called prestige brand, there is such huge brand reputational damage at risk here. Heads should be rolling, is Steve's opinion. Um, I just wanted to mention this, this idea of appliances malfunctioning from the start and manufacturers not being prepared to recognize that is actually one that sort of filters into another story that we're busy working on uh, for a show next week. Not so. Yes, yes indeed. Um, it's, 
It's a national retailer. I have I only uh, rated with them late yesterday. So I think in fairness, we should um, not mention the name until they've responded. They've responded to say that it's in hand, but they need to investigate. But essentially what happened, Pippa, um, as you know, because we were both emailed on this, is mm. um, this woman uh, ordered a fridge online um, to be sent to her elderly parents. Um, when it arrived, it was plugged in, and from the start, it just didn't work. It was... It was a dead horse, dead fridge. And and so she, um, I haven't got my notes in front of me, so yeah. I'm remembering off the top of my head. She uh, reported this um, and you could report it online. There were only two options. One was wrong product and the other one was damaged. damaged yeah. Which doesn't actually cover damaged, which, which implies damaged in transit. Defective should be there. I mean... Mm. Wrong yes. product, defective, damage. It's a very, those are the three big categories. In any event, um, they were then sort of put through this process. A technician eventually went around and said um, that basically the only option was a repair, which is a massive um, contravention of the CPA. And 12 years on for a, a national prominent uh, retailer is really not okay. So, it's now being investigated, but they were told yesterday and again today when the technician came around, we'll have to see about repairing this. And that was what the case was 12 years ago before the CPA came into effect. It's not okay for the consumer not to be, uh, for their legal right not to choose their remedy to be to be disregarded in this way. So let's see what happens. But I think, I mean, we raise these cases, A, so that the retailers up their game, and B, so that consumers know over and over and for sure that um they do have a right in such a case when something is defective, either within six months, any time within six months of, of, of delivery in this case or, or purchase. And the other thing quickly is mm. that I have another case where someone did agree to, because she didn't know any better, she agreed to um, a smaller product, a phone, being repaired because she didn't know she could choose a, ref, uh, a refund or a or replacement. replacement. And... Um, it it was repaired and then broke again very soon afterwards. And the act also says that if a product is repaired, it can and it fails within three months. Um, and it doesn't have to be the same problem. It can be a different okay. failure. The re, the supplier or retailer has no longer has the right to repair. They only have one bite at that cherry. It then becomes the consumer's choice or refund or replacement. And um, but I get. Lots of complaints where people, you know, agreed to the first repair, and then it was okay. We'll repair it again, and we'll repair it again. And that's what the CPA's Section Fifty Six was designed to to um, make such um, high handedness on the part of retailers and their suppliers illegal. Mm -hmm. So it's really disappointing when I still, on a weekly basis, and from retailers big and small, get these this feedback where, you know, there's this pushback. Of course they want to repair. It's easiest for them. It's the cheapest for them. Mm. They're not inconvenienced by not having the the, the um, appliance removed, you know, out of their hand as the consumer is for weeks. It's just it's just really, really troubling and disappointing. Okay. Thanks. Uh, thanks for that, Wendy. And look forward to, to, to giving feedback on that story next week. For now, let's move from the soap suds to the butter wars. Uh, Wendy, it's actually, I know, International Food Safety Day today. So it's a good day to remind listeners about the importance of almost sacrosanct, we should say, accurate labeling of products and being able to trust that what it says on the tub is what you're getting inside. And there's been a very interesting case recently around the use of the terminology that doesn't quite 
say something is in the tub that isn't in the tub, but but kind of leads us to think it might be one thing when it's actually something else. And, and particularly here, we're looking at the use of the term butter spread, Wendy. Indeed. So I think the issue is summed up for me thus, and the, the manufacturers know all too well that we consumers are bombarded with so much information from so many sources, and we look at the big words, especially when it comes to products. Yeah. There's an overwhelming amount of information on the shelves, so many products, so much, so much wording on the packaging. But so if a product is called butter spread, yes, um, the if you look on the pack, if you look very closely and you look for the really tiny writing, you might see that there is a little bit of butter in there. Um, but your your overwhelming feeling will be that this is butter. And butter, as we know, is, is in, in the last decade has screamed up in price. It's a luxury yeah. for many. But um, for many, you know, the the best spread, the most desirable. And that's why the word butter, the manufacturers will do anything they can to kind of slide the word butter in there somewhere. Even if in the case of a product called Flora Buttery launched about 10 years ago, it had 1% buttermilk powder oh my gosh and it's called buttery yeah so the, the case that you just mentioned um the makers of uh, butter which is clover so they have the obviously 100 butter and then they have butter for many years um I've, they'll never say exactly uh, well last i looked what the um split between butter fat and um vegetable fat is but i was told um quite uh, vociferously that the vegetable content, vegetable oil content was less than a third. So it's mostly butter. Okay. okay. So they took, and they say the oil is in there to make it more spreadable. Okay. But it, sorry is, to interrupt. So it's called butro, not butter, because it can't be called butter butro. unless it is only milk protein um, and, yes. and the butter fat content. So it's butro because they have added in that plant fat, plant oil to make it a bit more spreadable. And Okay, they call it butro, they don't call it butter. But they took great offence when their competitor Stork put out a, a, a product called Butter Spread, Wendy. Yes, indeed. So, so yes, it's it's called Butter Spread. And its composition, if I can just find it in my notes, can help me out here, Pippa. It's, uh, it's not the other way around. It was over butter. 60% it's plant oil, I think. Yeah, yes. yeah. 38% dairy and, and then plant oil. So they said it was, they, they took this to court um, back in 2021 and they said it was ma- masquerading its butter when in fact it was 60% plant oil based. They won that case, but Stork's owners, the Pile of Foods, uh, appealed. And just last week, end of last week, they lost again. Um, the company was ordered by the Supreme Court of Appeal to stop selling Stork butter spread. They said it was indeed misleading. The packaging creates the impression that it's butter when it's only small part butter. And they said that, and this is the interesting part for me, um, while the word butter was a dominant feature on Stork's label, as I said at the beginning, um, the words medium fat modified butter spread with sunflower and palm oils was, the court said, virtually invisible. Wow. And so that's the problem when it comes to, to labeling. So the particular getup of the label will self-evidently or at least be likely to deceive or confuse the notional consumer into believing that the product is a butter product. And of course, you find these things all very nearby each other in the yeah. fridges, right? Yeah. They, it's, Okay, so yeah, let's so let's bring in an expert important. here. On the line with us, Dr. Janine Marais, who is a food science lecturer at Stellenbosch University. Janine, thanks for joining us. Good afternoon. 
Hi, good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So immediately our listener, Anthea, Althea, sorry, has written in very upset, saying butter is butter is butter. It's a pure animal product made from cream. I can't deal with people calling anything else by that name. Why are the plant butters allowed to get away with it? It's an interesting point that Althea raises. So nobody seems to have an issue with flora marketing a plant butter. Is that because it's very obviously with green leafy plants on, on, the, on the packaging? Do you think that's what makes... Uh, it different from the stalk butter spread case? Yes, so she is right that um, but the definition of butter is just churned cream, so it shouldn't be misused. But I think in the case of the plant butter product, um, they have indicated the word plant in just as big. Um, as the word font. butter? Yes, as okay. yeah. butter. And the packaging is also not mislead, uh, misleading with any images of butter being spread or a like a little curl that looks like butter. Yeah. Um, there's actually just the pictures of avo, olives, coconuts, which depicts the main sources of the plant-based oils okay. that's in the product. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. So they, they, the customer knows what they're getting in that in that container is coming from plant sources, not animal sources. They're not trying to pull the wool over their eyes, or uh, should we say the cowhide over their eyes? At this point, <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it's it's something we uh, it's something we need to take seriously. Janina, do, do you think there's there's too much leeway here for for brands to 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 sort of pull the pull one over on on consumers, and if not deliberately dupe them into buying something, certainly allow them to get away with thinking it's one thing when it's actually something else. I think um, I think the, if you ever have the chance to go through the regulations, it is quite complex. And when you can call it a, a fat spread, and you need to indicate the presentations, or when is it a authentic dairy product mm-hmm. like a butter, or when is it a, a modified dairy product um, like we see now with the um, modified butter spread, and then you have a full fat and a medium fat. So I think consumers. Um, might be in general be confused when they see modified butter spread. What does mm. that mean? Um, but in the end, I can maybe I just advise them to 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 look at the ingredients list rather and see if it's real butter. It's just going to have cream and maybe salt if it's a salted butter as ingredients in there. Okay, Wendy. I'm going to ask you a cheeky question, Janine. Are you willing to take a guess at what stalks? 62% plant oil, 38% dairy spread will be renamed because the product's not going away. They, they just have to rename it. They can't call it butter spread anymore. Any guesses? Um, I, <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily want to stick my neck out on this one, but I think um, with a lot of these types of products, they usually just have um, the name of the manufacturer, like stalk, and then just in, in the same um, big font medium fat modified by the spread, which is not necessarily an adventurous name, but a true reflection of um, what the product contains according to to the regulation. Janine, interesting comment from one of our listeners saying that butter spread is often more expensive than butter, depending on the brand that you're buying in. Should customers be looking at pricing as a guide to what they expect to find in the packaging or should they rather be taking the time to read the fine print on the packaging? I think they should rather... Um, firstly decide what they want for what application if it's for spreading it on bread maybe butter is too hard for that and you would want a butter spread or if you want to bake something then you would want a margarine or a real butter that has um, 80% at least fat content for the product characteristics that you need Um, 
Yeah, so I, I just think that um, with the prices of oils and the type of oils that they put in these type of products, so um, often it's um, olive oils or um, canola or sunflower oil, mm. it might um, increase the price because of those expensive oils and because they want to add omega-3 content to the butter and make it more healthy. So that's really interesting. So the big variant factor can in fact be the, the nature of the plant oil in the product rather than anything to do with the actual protein content. Janine, thanks. That's really interesting insight. Before we let her go, Wendy, anything else you'd like to put to Janine? I think that's about it. Thank you very much for, for giving us an expert view on, on what's going down here. Oh, just one more question. Yeah. Sorry. Another issue is, and I know you're very interested in, you're very involved in the sort of sensory side of, of food. Um, what about the way it feels in our mouth? What is the difference between say, a butter and then a, a spread in terms of our experience of it in our mouths? Is that a factor? So with a real butter, um, it's usually solid at room temperature. So when you spread it, it, it won't be as easily spreadable on a bread or a cracker. And it might, but it, it usually has a fuller mouthfeel um, and maybe more creamy dairy-like flavors as opposed to a, a modified butter spread which might be more easily easily spread and depending on the type of oil that you have in there there might be some additional flavors and not necessarily that nice rich dairy creamy um, flavor thank you so much dr janine maria food science lecturer at stellenbosch university cape talk consumer talk whatsapp on 072-567-1567 I just want to thank the program and Wendy for the advice about the second-hand computer that I bought, um, which I wasn't getting any joy with taking back after 10 days into the, uh, well, from the moment I got it, wasn't working. Um, Once I let them know that I've been in in touch with you and that your advice was that they had a very creative um, way of deciding what the um, the legalities were about getting um, my a refund. I immediately got a refund, and a week later, the other computer I bought broke down, and I simply had to say, um, second computer's broken down, and may I have a refund? And they said absolutely, and I got it ASAP. So, Wendy. Um, Thank you. You're doing a lot of good, and um, it, I'm just I'm just sad that people that are in the game of selling things aren't playing by the rules, and people that are easily intimidated or bluffed just don't have a leg to stand on. Thank you for that nice feedback to end the show on today, Wendy. And uh, I'll echo it with yes. thanks for all you do on behalf of so many of our listeners to remind them of what the Consumer Protection Act says they have the right to expect and to keep on flagging when brands get it wrong, as we've done today, uh, so that everybody else can learn uh, for their own experience going forward. Look forward to picking up on the case of the fridge that never got cold on next week's show. <laughs> Indeed, me too. We'll chat Thank to you, you then. Thank you so much, consumer journalist Wendy Nola.